Welcome to the Imago Day podcast, the show of philosophical and theological reflections for today's world. I'm your host, Lewis, and I am joined by the ever-observant and knowledgeable Professor Joseph Terry. Joe, how are you today? I am doing well and enjoying this beautiful, beautiful day over here in Queens. Looking forward to enjoying the rest of this Friday. Today is a um, special episode. We're going to be taking a break from our ongoing discussion on Catholicism to discuss the anniversary of 9-11. This episode is going to be released uh, basically 20 years to the day of an extremely important geopolitical event that has, I'm sure, impacted you, the listener, um, in many ways. doesn't matter how old you are. Um, and has certainly impacted Joe and I. So I just yes. felt like it would be a good opportunity to just kind of pause and and just kind of talk about it and, and just articulate some of what we're feeling and, and also, you know, go into what we normally do in this podcast, which is take a look from a philosophical lens and, of course, bring in uh, theology and, and just kind of discuss this event. So, Joe, I yeah. wanted to um, start our conversation by asking you, why why should we be talking about 9-11? Why is it important to talk about it? Is it worth remembering? Aren't we just kind of bringing up trauma? You know, like, is there any positivity to even have a conversation like this? Yeah, you know, Lewis, first of all, I just want to say thank you for actually giving us the space. You came up with the idea to say, you know what, let's pause for our uh, for, for a moment and, and allow us to kind of engage this topic. And I'm just really grateful for that. And the reason, uh, of course, is because, you know, I think memory needs to be enacted. And, and what I mean by that is we, of course, passively carry all kinds of things that have indeed occurred, not just cognitively not just in our memory banks, if you want to put it like that, but also even viscerally, even in our bodies, right? We, we carry these things, uh, especially trauma. And so when we give ourselves the space to pause and, and slow down a bit and say, you know what, let's, let's talk about what happened, we're, we're giving, as it were, breathing room for us to continue the, the, the space of processing and I think that's important. I think it's important because we are collective creatures, we are communal beings. Um, and so not only do we have a petite and particular identity, a sense of self, but that is ever caught up in the matrix of the collective, right? Even the national identity. So us as Americans, us as New Yorkers, right? You from Queens, uh, me from Brooklyn, and then, you know, the particular boroughs and all of that there and our age difference and, and what was happening at that time, I think, uh, deserves further articulation, words that would serve for the generative propagation, if I could put it like that, of, of a memory that, yes, is indeed traumatic, but is also um, really irreducibly a part of who we are, right? There's a, there's a pre-9-11 life world uh, narrative, and then there's a post-9-11. Yeah. And so such a powerful demarcation, I think, um, invites for further exploration, further reflection, and not, of course, necessarily to solve anything. I mean, what has happened has happened. Mm -hmm. Of course, we can learn from that, but to do so as humans. This is what it means to be human, is mm -hmm. to retell stories, to, to, uh, to, to offer accounts of what have, has taken place. And, and, that, and that is to say history is a living thing. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's continuous mm-hmm. in our present reality. So I think this is this is one of the reasons why we should indeed do this. So Joe, um, let's begin. Where were you the morning of Tuesday, September 11, 2001? Um, where were you? What did you see? And, and what was your experience like of um, September 11th? Yeah, great. Uh, great question. <clears throat> I, I, like so many of us, you know, we, we just cannot forget what we were doing, where we were when this event happened. And so for me, I, I was at, uh, at the University of Rochester, which is about six and a half, seven hours away from New York City, but it's in the state of New York. Um, and just for our listeners, I am, you know, a, a born and raised in New York City. So um, far enough, but, but nevertheless, always close. Um, and so, you know, I was at U, U of R my sophomore year, if I remember, and I was in bed. I was just, I was sleeping actually, uh, and I was awakened by a call, a phone call from my mom. Um, and I picked up, hello, and Joey, Joey, uh, they, they, and this is what she said. <laughs> it's it's wild. She said they're throwing planes into the buildings, and I wow. and I was, I wasn't. First of all, she said it with like a Brooklyn, like a kind of Brooklyn, Brooklyn, broken Puerto Rican accent. Because when she gets like nervous, yeah. she like, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> returns mm-hmm. to some kind of quasi mother tongue. She's like, Mira, they, they're throwing planes. I was like, they're wow. throwing planes. Who, you know, they're throwing planes. I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm, I'm getting down the building. Cause she, I grew up in a building, 16th floor. We live 16D uh, in Coney Island. And, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, a building. And she's like, no, she's like the Twin Towers, the Twin Towers, wow. put the TV on, look at the mm-hmm. news. And I was like, what? So I put the TV on and I, you know, right when I put the TV on, I see the second plane. Oh my hitting. goodness. So yeah, you, you yeah. caught and that I'm like, live moment because that was a live right. moment on, on broadcast. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. And uh, my roommate, my good friend, Josh, at the time, you know, I, I woke him up. I said, bro. You got to see this. This is mm-hmm. crazy, right? And we're looking there standing in shock. We're like, nah, this is crazy. What the heck? Mm-hmm. You know? And and my mom is uh, screaming on the phone. Wow. I said, ma, you know, make your way downstairs. Uh, you're not thinking anything's going to happen. But, you know, and then, you know, the news was going on. So um, I check the internet. Um I, I go on to see if classes are canceled. Classes are still going on. Um, I, Which I, I think, I'm sorry, we, we got to pause yeah. here just because when you said you went on the internet, like the internet's also yeah. in a very, very different phase at this point, yes. 2001. Yes. So yes. like even the act of, of connecting to the internet is like a whole multi-step process and also what's available on the, there's no Twitter. Mm-hmm. There's no really like mm-hmm. real time news coming in like that. So yeah. you're quite yeah. limited in what you're connecting you're going to even find out on the internet. So continue. So you were on the internet and what happened next? Yeah. I I just, just to check my email, (laughs) just to check my email and to see if anything from the, from the professors or from the school came in, Mm -hmm. uh, nothing. And, um, got ready with the TV on in the background, trying to process what's happening in shock, Mm -hmm. seeing the buildings on fire, billows of smoke going up, Mm Um, news reporters trying to assess what's happening. Uh, and then I remember going to my first class, um, uh, which was a physics class in the Bashalam building. 
I remember. Mm-hmm. And get going inside, my friend Edwin uh, was taking that class with me, and he's shaking his head. He's like, bro, I can't believe what's happening. It's crazy. I'm like, yeah, man. What? I'm like, how are we still having class? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. I remember saying. And I said, what's going on? Professor comes in. Um, he teaches, but the class is very short. It's like, I think it was supposed to be an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. It ends up being maybe 20 minutes. He says, guys, uh, go ahead. Um, I can't continue to teach right now. This is a little, you know, we're not sure what's happening. So we spill over into the main quad. And um, I remember there was somebody there saying this was a terrorist attack. Some, some older woman on campus saying this was a terrorist attack. This is, uh, this is a situation. And then we get news from other faculty and the word starts coming out that the school is, is closing and everyone is to return back to their dorms. That class is canceled for the rest of the day. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, class is canceled. And I remember having the feeling of like, okay, that's cool. But of course, like, what the hell is going on? You know, this is really weird. And and being concerned about my family in New York City. Um, so getting back on the phone with my mom, checking in with my dad, thank God, you know, they were both all right um, and whatnot. But just, you know, trying to process what's happening. Um when and then I remember, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to ask, like, when you heard that woman say, this is a terrorist attack, this is a terrorist attack, like, what was your reaction to that? I, I wasn't even, oh, I was a little bewildered by it. I, I was so sort of puzzled. I'm like, what is that? What do you mean a terrorist attack, right? Because <clears throat> before 9-11, this, this was... That that wasn't even in the collective vocabulary, in a sense. And yeah. if you were ever hearing something like that, it was always over there, across seas, mm-hmm. somewhere, maybe in the Middle East or whatever. Mm-hmm. How could this happen here? You know, how can this happen here in New York City? The Twin yeah. Towers of all buildings, yeah. you know? Yeah. Planes flying in. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I, it was, I couldn't process. It was really out there. I remember getting in the car with some friends since class was canceled for the rest of the day. And again, there's this because we're on, we're in the dorm, and when you're when you're living in the dorm, you're kind of in a bubble, you know. That's yeah. the thing. You're 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 sort of out of touch with the rest of the world, especially at the time in which the internet uh, wasn't a robust thing as it is now. So I remember getting into a car with my friends and say, you know what, let's just hit up the mall, or I don't know, let's just go somewhere and and talk about this and just leave. So we left campus. We get to the mall and the mall is closing down and security is like ushering people out. And this is when we came to discover that this is like a national lockdown. This is like, Mm. you know, all the major public uh, businesses and and commerce was just coming to a close and a halt for the rest of the day, it seemed like. So we came back to campus and just remember, you know, watching the news for the rest of the night all the way into the evening. Yeah, just trying to make sense of this. And at this point seeing one of the towers fall mm-hmm. and their, you know, language in one sense is too impoverished. It's too poor to capture some of the feelings when I was watching this uh, on TV and, and seeing this with my friends. And mm-hmm. it, w- it was just nuts. And of course, imagining being there, being in the city, calling my friends, some of my friends who were still in the city. Some mm-hmm. of the one was in LIU, Long Island University, the Brooklyn campus, and uh, seeing seeing this from 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 the window, and as he was going home, another crossing the Brooklyn Bridge because the tunnels were shut down. 
uh, trains were not going. Um, so, it, you know, it really was a disorienting experience as well. Mm -hmm. I can't say that there was real fear. Um, and, and maybe because I was young and stupid and, you know, kind of like, well, you know, um, I'm not in the proximity. Of course, I, mm -hmm. I, there was a concern for my family, but I knew my family was safe and away from that area. But I think also just, just trying to make sense of what is going on. Um, it is just, it was just a sort of paramount, uh, feeling that I was carrying for the, at least for the rest of that day and, and, and really bleeding over into the next day and the next week over the next week. Do you remember or can you describe the feeling of seeing the the new skyline? Like whenever it was the next time that you went back home and you saw the Manhattan skyline again and, and then now the Twin Towers just aren't there. Do you remember seeing that or like and, and do you remember like what were you feeling when you saw that? You know. This may sound a bit overdramatic, but but again, as a New Yorker, and for those who are New Yorkers listening to this, I think that they'll they'll get it. It was like um, witnessing a new day without the rising of a sun. It, it it was like beholding a face that didn't have eyes. It, it was mm -hmm. there was something profoundly wrong with the sight mm -hmm. because as a native New Yorker. The Twin Towers were iconic. In one sense, that's not, not even enough to say really what they were, right? That is to say phenomenologically, right? The experience of the skyline, the seeing of that, coupled with the Brooklyn Bridge and, and all of that there. Um, and so to return to New York, I don't know, I can't remember how many, maybe a month or two after that or whatnot, and, mm -hmm. and to drive in the BQE, uh, in Brooklyn, and no longer seeing the towers there, it took me a very long time to get used to that. Yeah. A very long time. Um, it also was potent in communicating, if I could put it like this, um, the solidity, the finality of the event. Especially when you think, you know, I remember driving and I'm thinking all the lives that were lost there. And, mm -hmm. and this is a massive gravesite, And the buildings that were, were are now no longer. And then thinking about how must those persons have felt. Like, what, what were they feeling when, when you know, you, you, you put yourself in a kind of empathetic resonance, trying to imagine what that must have been like. And of course, more footage was coming out and, and graphic things. You know, mm -hmm. you, you seeing bodies falling mm -hmm. from the sky. And it's just, you know, so all of that there, it was surreal. Um, it was a kind of like a dream state. Um, and, and that carried over from the day of seeing these things happening, transpiring in my eyes, uh, right before my eyes on, on television, to the next couple of months, it was just feeling like like a, an alternate universe. Like yeah. this is, you know, um, but yeah, it, it was like <laughs> witnessing um, a, a new day without the rising of the sun. You're, you're saying to yourself, okay, there's no sun, but where's the light emanating from? It's like there's mm. there's New York, but where are the towers? Mm -hmm. 
Where's the World Trade Center? This is this is not right. This is not right. Um, and again, the permanence. I I remember uh, prior to the September 11th attacks, like always being fascinated by the Twin Towers because to me they they were more iconic to me than the Empire State Building as far as like skyscrapers in Manhattan. I remember as a kid just like looking at them and just being fixated on these two like identical towers. One has the antenna and like, boom, they're just there. Right. And, and one time my dad decided to take a detour, like, you know, just dealing with traffic. Mm -hmm. So he said, all right, let me go this way. And he took a rare route of driving directly through like downtown Manhattan. And it was the only time that I was like directly next to the towers. And I just remember like looking straight up in the car as it drove by and just seeing these massive, massive monoliths of of a building and just the scale of it and just being blown away by it and wanting to like always just visit. Cause I think even like on a, on a class trip, we did like the empire state building has like a little like ride at the top or something Mm -hmm. and whatever. It was whack. I didn't like it, (laughs) but the twin towers to me, it was like, yo, like I want to go. Like I remember really wanting to go. And and I remember having a, a very similar experience to you driving that route. Like you said, along the BQE, like right by the Brooklyn bridge where you get a really good view of, of downtown Manhattan and just seeing like a big gap there, you know, like just open space where the Twin Towers should have been. And I remember that really hitting me hard. Of It was, it's, it's overwhelming, you know? Um, it really is. It, you know, it, it really is. And I, I've never been in the Twin Towers. My mom um, went a few times to a bar lounge in the Twin Towers, all the way in the top called, yeah, called Windows of the World. Ah, okay. um, yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing pictures that she took there mm-hmm. with her friends and family. And so, I, yeah, again, th- there's that association of, well, my mom would go there mm-hmm. um, and friends of family that I knew would, would attend there. I, um, I, I wanted to share a little bit about my experience because mm, um, I, I was nine years old at the time. And I feel like the experience that I had, uh, it may be typical or relatable for for people of my generation. It's a kind of PTSD, you know, like it's like a generational PTSD. I really believe that that people of around my age are, are dealing with a, a level of trauma because we experienced mm. a traumatic event at such a young age. So I was nine years old. I was in fifth grade. I'm looking outside my window right now and there's like very little clouds in the sky. And I remember that Tuesday morning, like it, it was like this, like there was, the weather was perfect. It was a beautiful fall day. That's right. And That's right. Um, there really wasn't any clouds in the sky. And I remember it was the first time that I saw all the adults, like in my life, my teacher, the teacher's aides, the principal in the school. And then later on my family, just being absolutely just flabbergasted and confused and, and just not knowing what's going on. I remember as a kid, like, whoa, like these adults don't know what's happening. And, and it was like a veil was kind of torn, you know, like this system that I'm, I was just kind of used to, okay, go to school and like follow this schedule and, and follow this rhythm. It was the first time that there was just like a disruption to all of that. And similar to that lady, like declaring it a terrorist attack, I remember a... Uh, uh, a friend named Parker. He was like, he was also nine, but he was already like declaring a World War Three, 
and and like this just filled you know he was it was just the way he said it i will right. always stay with me because i remember being just like really shook that to hear that term you know like world war 3 like what what are you talking about and 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 just and i remember looking at i was going to school in queens i live um in queens but still being able to kind of look in a certain way and, and seeing the smoke in the sky, like way out in the distance, you're able to catch right. some Manhattan. I remember seeing that, that plume of smoke going straight up and, and just, um, just knowing that like this day is a life altering day, that this is something that is not normal, is not typical in this world that I'm just kind of like understanding, getting familiar with and, and living out like this is, something has changed. And I remember like that night, the sound of police sirens, just constant. Like it was, it's one of the rarest times. I think the closest that that type of sound was recreated recently for me was Mm -hmm. during early pandemic with the ambulance and stuff. But I remember police sirens and and, um, fire trucks um, sirens just, there was there was not a moment where you did not hear that, um, and I was I was in Queens, like I wasn't even in Manhattan, and I was right. still hearing these sounds. Like it was just pure chaos. Um, yes. So I was taken out of school early, um, which was really common for um, basically everyone at school at the time because the school day was like. It was trying to be business as usual, but then every yeah, five yeah. minutes the phone would ring and then it's like, all right, uh, Julie, like your parents are picking you up or whatever. And so finally my grandma picks me up because um, she she lives really close to the school. And when I go to my grandma's house, my, my uncles are there, my parents were there, like everyone just kind of gathered around at my grandma's house. This was like a safe point. And the the news was on, like you said, and, and I remember my family, the collective gasp and shock of seeing that live moment of the one right. of the buildings falling. And and it yeah, it was just pure chaos. Um, well, two big takeaways and impacts that that day had on my family. One is my oldest sister. Um, she later joins the Marine Corps, which wow. did come out of this moment. And she was sent to Afghanistan and she also did a tour in Iraq, which were two forever wars that really spawned from this tragedy. I remember when she like left and went over there and was like sending me pictures and I'm like, oh my goodness, my sister's on the other side of the world, like fighting this war. I remember feeling like this came from this terrorist attack, mm-hmm. which was mind blowing. Um, and then the other, the other takeaway for me was, um, uh, let's see. Sorry. It's just like, <laughs> it's a lot to think no, about again. It's a lot. It's yeah. A lot. Um, yeah. So that, the, my sister was one big takeaway. And the other takeaway was there was, um, other news stories that kind of popped up in the months following and the years following mm-hmm. there was, other smaller, but because they happened so close to 9-11 that like the response that everyone had, including my family was really like urgent and, 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 yes. and quick and stuff. Like there was the, the anthrax attacks, there was, um, the shoe bomber in December yeah. where like all of a sudden now we got to take off our shoes to go on airplanes. Like the world became, was rapidly changing. I remember in like the week after 9-11, 
there was a heavy thunderstorm in New York. And I remember my dad just sitting up in bed, like way later than his, his bedtime, just like, and he later told me like, he, he thought like something was going down, you know, similar to nine 11, another experience because it, it sounded, you know, like it, it almost sounded yeah. like explosions of thunder and like the type of storm that it was and just everyone being on edge, like, okay, like is, is now the time to like make moves and, and get out of here and all this stuff, you know, like it just, it ushered in this new era of uncertainty and, and chaos. And, and yeah. the last like memory that I always tie to nine 11, even though it was two years later, but the blackout in the Northeast in, in 2003, that was when the power went out during the summer for like, I don't know, it was uh-huh. like a day and a half or whatever. Yeah. I remember, I, that. I remember it, it just brought back all the feelings of nine 11 of just uncertainty and chaos. And my family, like, basically rallying around again and, and just like, okay, like, are we're going to have to make moves here. Like, what are we, what are we going to do? Um, and I feel like that feeling has kind of stayed with me because of the impression that nine 11 made on me at a young age of like, anytime there's an unexpected event of just mm-hmm. immediately getting into a mode of like, all right, what are we going to do? You know, like, are we going to, are we going to flee? We're going to fight. Like we got to make a move here. And it just kind of, bringing out the same um, feeling of that I remember feeling as a, a kid on September yeah, 11th. Yeah, yeah, this is what trauma does, Lewis. Mm-hmm. This is what trauma does. And, and this is collective trauma, what yeah. was happening, especially for New Yorkers, native New Yorkers, or those who just moved to New York, you know. Um, of course, national trauma and, and, and really having a, a, a global effect. There, there was so much happening, but for you, for your family, for me, you know, and I, I think the potency of this, of course, is is or can only really be understood against the backdrop of the the kind of security or supposed security um, that that us as New Yorkers and Americans thought we possessed. Right? It's like, well, this never happens here, right? Mm-hmm. But no, um, this could never happen. So that juxtaposition between this decisive event with the kind of Oh, things are okay. You know, life continues to go on. Is what makes it so traumatic. It really does, and, and and this 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 causes me to reflect, of course, philosophically on at least from a philosophical anthropological perspective and in psychology, um, our need to make sense of things, mm-hmm. our need to make sense of events, and when something occurs in such a way that challenges the very foundations of our paradigm, our worldview, our mental model, the way we see things. Um, it's <laughs> troubling, uh, to say the least, right? It's deeply troubling it, it, because it, it, it signifies, as this event it did and still does, a profound disruption, right? This, this kind of, again, you know, the word, again, decisive, shift it, it's a paradigmatic shift really um um and 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 so how does one make sense of that and of course people were attempting to do that naturally in many different ways mm-hmm. you, you one of the ways in which we do that is we we construct an enemy we mm-hmm. identify as such mm-hmm. the enemy you say oh that's the they're the bad guys let's send our troops let's do this right exactly, exactly. and that usually um doesn't 
leave room for a more nuanced reading of what has taken place. Not to, of course, uh, say that those who were guilty were not guilty, but that it's always a far more complicated issue, you know? So these are some of the things that we would need to think about. Um, but it's hard to do that when, when such a hot, uh, a fresh new event like that, a profoundly disruptive event that takes place. This also causes me to think theologically about the nature of the cross. You know, you have these uh, band of, of, of individuals who leave everything to follow this dude for, for years, and mm. they really believe he's the Messiah. They believe he's the Mashiach. Uh, they see, they see and hear about all that he is doing, his mm-hmm. teachings, his healings, amazing, even raising people from the dead. And then all of a sudden, the ones uh, whom he's supposed to liberate, right? Uh, you know, as the Messiah, he's supposed to help overthrow the Roman occupation, right? And mm-hmm. and, and set the, uh, the, the the kingdom of Israel free and 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 kind of a lasting reign. No, he actually is captured and killed by the Romans. Right, uh, he's betrayed by the highest religious officials in Israel. Um, this again is a profound disruption. This is traumatic. This is the cross, um, and yet theology, yet Christianity, rather, springs forth from this event, from this Passover, this Paschal event, precisely because it, it doesn't end. It doesn't end with a cross but passes through the cross, through the tomb, into the resurrection, right? And with the experience of the resurrection, with the experience of the utter new, um, which comes forth from the womb of the tomb, the tomb is transformed into a womb for new life, for new creation, um, uh, allows for a reframing of the particular event in a in a more cosmic sense, right? So we as Christians on this side of the of the eschatological divide, we say, "Wow, thank God for the cross." How do we, you know, in in a in a different register, in a different context, how mm. do we say, uh, "Thank God for 9/11"? I mm. mean, we don't want to say that, right? Because that, yeah. that, in one sense, that almost want that almost seems to like disregard the lives lost. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Lewis, I think we could indeed say, you know what? Uh, as traumatic as that was, and as horrible as that was, as it was on Good Friday that mm-hmm. the, the only innocent one died, um, we can nevertheless uh, grow from this. We can become new through this. And I think that is the question, right? And I think that's the reason why we do this. The reason why we pause and we say, yeah, this needs commemoration, mm-hmm. right? It is because we, we're saying we are, yes, shaped decisively so by this event, but we will not be utterly defined by it. In fact, we will use it to galvanize us for further growth and wisdom. How do we do that? That's the journey. That's the reason why we commemorate. That's the reason why we pause and we say, yes, let us remember, let us come together, let us reflect, not just to rehash old wounds, but to move forward and and to move deeper in light of what indeed has taken place. I I like um, the term that you used about like the response to the disruption, and and I hope that um, I would like to talk a little bit more about that because the disciples they had their response to the disruption because they had expectations of Jesus that it did not go the way that I, I'm sure some of the disciples expected it would go. 
by following Christ. And there was a response to 9-11 amongst New Yorkers, amongst Americans, amongst the world. And I feel like the paths that was taken between like the path that disciples chose in response to the the crucifixion and the path that like all of the world kind of took in response to 9-11, like they're very, very different, you know, like the, the response to 9-11, like all that anger and, and, and fear that we had as a country, I think was channeled into two major changes that we're still affected by today. One is the expansion of surveillance, like in ways that are just unfathomable to someone pre 9-11, you know, like the way we were talking about the internet and yes. stuff and like dial yes. up and, and it was such like, communications digital communications is in like such an infancy stage yes, now yes the, the yes. level of surveillance and stuff that we are all experiencing on some level has changed dramatically and it started with 9/11 and the other major thing uh, which I mentioned kind of earlier was the two wars two forever wars really that came out of um, 9/11 one was the the war in Iraq and then the war in Afghanistan which recently and put quotation marks around this kind of like ended. You know, and it seems like the, the driving force between the the surveillance and the forever wars and stuff is is like it's it's fear. You know, like I, I'm I'm just sensing kind of like a fear and and a, yeah, and just a quite frankly like ungodly um, direction. You know, and, and the ways to, to respond to a tragedy. So, do you mind just kind of? talking more about that, like the response to the, to the disruption, you know, in the context of, of 9-11 and the context of yeah. we're living, it's 20 years now, and, and yet we still feel the impacts of, of such a tragic event. How do we as Christians respond and choose a, a, a more godly path? Um, even, even though collectively, you know, we may not have... Um, no, actually, yeah. Just if you could start there. Yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, wow. We got a lot of drilling now happening here. <laughs> <laughs> surveillance is kicking in. <laughs> yeah, surveillance is kicking in. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, it's sorry for the background noise. Um, they're doing construction on the building. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do our best to clean it up. We'll get, yeah, it's really loud. But anyway, you know, I remember in university, uh, years after 9-11, writing about the Patriot Act that was instituted George Bush and, mm. and surveillance and, and reflecting on that as a reaction, as a reaction to what took place. And, uh, you know, it, it makes sense because when trauma happens, uh, as you've pointed out, fear uh, comes through. But with that, comes uh, a desire for for a greater degree of control right and this is what surveillance affords or at least mm. what one thinks right mm-hmm. is a greater degree of control so if i if i have now greater control i can now uh, mitigate any potential future threats this is the reason why it happens but you you spoke you said the word ungodly that's is, this is interesting right because fear indeed is generative uh, for a demonic posture rather than a godly posture. Mm. And what I mean by that is when we choose to, again, slow down and, and, and reflect rather than be merely reactive, mm. um, this gives us a greater chance to bring fear under proper control within the disposition that we possess and exercise a bit more wisdom. 
Um, I, this brings me back to the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgive us our sins, forgive us our transgressions, forgive us our iniquities, as we forgive those who have sinned, who have transgressed against against us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so this is key for a Christian response. It's it's to slow down, prayerfully reflect on what has taken place, holding the real even visceral emotional uh, space that that we're in right the pain and suffering but refusing to respond according to the dictates of this fallen world mm. right hate for hate violence for fi- violence but mm. rather to go higher right to to allow the hate to be supplemented under to to for it to actually be um a better phrase here better word is to be transfigured into a, a higher degree of peace and love this is this requires the spirit right uh, in our natural disposition is very difficult to do something like that perhaps even impossible but that's the way forward that's the mm. way forward i think it starts with prayer it starts with quiet reflection and of course this all sounds like uh bullshit if you think about mm. it right especially for those who've lost it's like mm-hmm. i don't want to hear anything about that uh i've lost i've suffered I want the person's responsible for this and I want to see them suffer. Mm. And and that has to be explored uh in, in the proper sort of context. And 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 there's something real, of course, and right about uh at least the expression of that that pain, right? Even the angst that follows through with it. But what Christ shows us is something far more transformative and deep. Uh Joe, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I I, I want to ask like one final question and kind of close this conversation. Let's say I'm someone who is almost like needing to kind of process and, and grieve and, and just understand how I feel, what I think. And, and I'm, I'm also trying to figure out like, how do I connect with the other, whether it's someone I know or, or a stranger, like what are some practices or, or questions that I can be asking myself on uh, 9-11, on the anniversary, to kind of help me, take me to that place that responds to hate with love, you know, responds to evil with good. Um, Because I'm sure there are many of us who who want an eye for an eye um, when it comes to uh, a tragedy like this. So what, can you, can you kind of help us out and and, and just some questions or, or practices that we can be employing today to help us? Yeah, I, I would say the importance of learning to listen to the stories of others, mm. listen to their narratives, listen to their fears and their hopes in the narratives, and consider also the broader context in which that narrative, that story that is being communicated to you is situated in. Um, this humanizes the other. This allows us to see the other perhaps as a genuine, authentic other mm-hmm. and not subsumed under our lens of fear, hatred, animosity, anxiety, whatever may be driving our response. Listening intently with our whole heart to the story of others. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, Lewis, I'm going to say this as a Christian, you know, prayer is is essential. Um, and what I mean by that also here is to is to pray not only to the Lord God uh, concerning greater discernment and wisdom about what is happening and what has happened and what potentially will come to be, 
but also pray, uh, in addition to wisdom and discernment, pray for those who are perceived as enemies, those mm. who um, they, they, they have indeed done perhaps even wrong. You know, and and to 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 just pray, just leave a little mm-hmm. pray. Like Lord, I I I don't want to pray for them, but this is something you're inviting me to do because you and I trust that you know better than I. As God, let me let me help me in this. Help me. In this. And I think these are pretty good first steps. You know, forward. Yeah, um, Joe. Thank you very much for for having a, a very sensitive conversation about this. Um, my hope is that. Uh, listeners and, and you and myself included are able to um, see God through this uh, day and, and to connect with him in a way that may not have been possible before um, and that we're able to kind of move uh, forward through this collective trauma of an event and, and even with all the problems that we face today you know outside of the tragedy of 9-11 that we can continue to pursue love so thank you Joe